Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Super Bowl weekend has arrived. Super Bowl Sunday will be Sunday, the 57th edition of the title game. Originally not even called the Super Bowl. It was just called a championship game. Then it became the Super Bowl and then the Lombardi Trophy and all that good jazz that has gone along with it. Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, we'll have that game for you right here on the game. Pre-game will begin at 4 o'clock, kickoff 5.30. And we're going to talk a lot about the big game. We're going to break it down. We're going to hear from some of the star players that are going to be taking the field on Sunday. And, of course, Dawson and I will give our picks as well later on in today's show. And because it is the Friday before the Super Bowl. We got some special guests lined up for you today. Alan Fanica, LSU great, maybe the greatest interior offensive lineman in program history. Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, pro football Hall of Famer, and a man who won a Super Bowl championship with the Pittsburgh Steelers is going to be joining us. We'll also have Kevin Falk, the Karen Crow High legend, LSU legend, college football Hall of Famer, oh, and three-time Super Bowl champion will be joining us as well. We'll have Matt Humans on from Vizen, their senior editor, betting analyst, as we dive into a slew of prop bets for Sunday's game. A record amount of money is supposed to be bet on during this game. And a record number of Americans are going to be betting for this game. Matt's going to help you try to get a little money in your back pocket. And Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, broadcasting legend, and a man who represents the state of Louisiana very well, Tim Brando, will be stopping by as well to give his thoughts on the controversy and the saga that is engulfing Dale Brown Court there inside the Pete Maravich Assembly Center. So we got four tremendous guests for you. Going to be talking lots of Super Bowl. Our poll question of the day, we're not even going to hesitate. We're going to go ahead and just tell you what it is right now. And it's very straightforward. Who wins Super Bowl 57? No must, no fuss here, people. This is how we're getting you ready for the weekend. Who wins Super Bowl 57? Is it the Kansas City Chiefs or is it the Philadelphia Eagles? Go vote on the poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts, your comments, if you will, on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids and not get too cray-cray with it. Do they still say cray-cray? Is that a thing? Probably not. Haven't heard it in a while. (laughs) There's D-Lo. Good morning, bud. (laughs) 
Good morning. <laughs> oh, man. We'll also get to the NFL honors that were last night. All the big-time awards were doled out last night. The Pelicans make a deal by the deadline, a minor deal, but they still make one. We speculated on that, and they did move on from one of those players that we kind of targeted that they would be moving on from. But we're going to start off today's show talking about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Dawson, I know you watched this game. UL at Southern Miss. Cajuns had taken the first game in this rivalry series earlier this season, about three weeks ago. That was inside the Cajun Dome. Last night's game was in the Berg, Hattiesburg. The two teams tied atop the Sunbelt Conference standings, duking it out. UL had won 10 straight. Southern Miss had won seven straight. Last time Southern Miss had lost was against the Cajuns. It was an ugly game early. The Cajuns did not play their best game in that first half, yet they still led. And I was thinking when it got to the break, because Southern Miss put together a little bit of a run, Folks finally hits a shot with one second to go for the Cajuns. And you're like, okay, they have a lead, but some halftime adjustments are needed. But the Cajuns have a lead on the road. They'll make the adjustments. They'll figure it out. And Southern Miss just came out in the second half, punched him in the mouth, and the Cajuns had no answer. They had the energy of the home crowd. They were feeling it. They built up a momentum. They got that little run going there to early in the second half, and the Cajuns never were really able, it felt never able to really kind of respond. They'd cut it down to maybe four or three here and there but they never really kind of grabbed control of the game again. Yeah, the second half was was maybe the worst half that they've played all year, honestly. Um, and look, me and Foot talked about it. It was a bad circumstance game. Like it was, Everything was kind of going against you in this. You had a huge emotional win last Saturday. I thought they looked sluggish a little bit, too. Not everybody. Uh, I thought Jordan played really well, but outside of him, it, was, uh, it wasn't a great performance. The second half defensively was really bad. I mean, you give up 49 points, and... I mean, they, look, if you give that team open looks, they're going to make them. And they got in a rhythm offensively. You didn't really have any answer. I mean, you were out of position, missing on rotations. Like, there was just a lot that they haven't done in a long time. Um, but with all that being said, I mean, you went into probably the most hostile environment you've played in all season, maybe outside of Texas, but even more so, I think, because of how much energy was involved and, and how much hype was surrounding the game. Um, you went and played a good team on the road. I still think UL's better than that team. I don't think they played like it last night, but I would I would like their chances in Pensacola if they if it ended up in a rematch. But given where the standings are and you know what Southern Miss was able to do last night, it's going to be an uphill battle to try to even grab a share of the conference title in the regular season now because you're going to have to rely on a Southern Miss loss. And as we've mentioned, I mean it doesn't get any easier. You got to go to Troy, who I know UL dominated Troy here at home. They're a pretty good team. They're back above 500 and. You're going to have to go there on Saturday. You go to James Madison next Saturday. You still have a feisty Monroe team. Like, it doesn't get easier, so I wouldn't the be surprised Monroe if they lose another game. The Monroe team is at home. Yeah. Right? That helps. There's still time. Look, I think we're going to see a refocused, re-energized Cajuns team at Troy on Saturday. But, but you're right. Emotional win 
on Saturday at home. And it's always difficult, especially when it comes to college kids. You're up high, great attendance, biggest crowd in, you know, four or five years. Fabulous Cajun Chickens is in the house. You take down a really, really good Marshall team. The energy's great. You exert a lot of energy. You lead wire to wire. And you've won 10 in a row. And then you have to go on the road to a place that is a rivalry, to a place that is trying to get its most attended game in five years, which they did. It was a near sellout there in Hattiesburg last night. It's the perfect storm, right? Emotional win, then you have to go on the road to a team that's going to be geared up. The only thing that you can hope for, Dawson, is that Southern Miss stumbles. Because you only need, look, if the Cajuns went out in the regular season, which they can do, is Troy going to be tough on Saturday? Sure, every road game is going to be tough. Is the James Madison game going to be even tougher? Absolutely it will be. But you just need Southern Miss to slip up just once because you already beat them once, right? So you just want them, you just need them to slip up because you're right, they now take control of first place in the Sun Belt Conference standings. They're 11-2 and two in conference play. Cajuns are now 10-3. and three. Marshall is right behind them at 9-4. and four. James Madison's lurking at 8-5. and five. And then Old Dominion, Troy, App State, ULM are all seven and six, right? So you have a cluster of teams really trying to catch James Madison to be the fourth team to get the double bye. You would like to win the regular season championship. You would like to win at least a share of the regular season championship because that would ensure that you at least get to go to the NIT, right? Because we know, based on their parameters, even if you're a co-champion, you still get to go to the NIT. So that's the ultimate goal is to go to a postseason tournament that matters. You want to get to the NCAA tournament, but if you can get to the NIT, that's still a success for a program like the Cajuns. So you need Southern Miss to stumble is what you need. And I look at their schedule and who they have left. I mean... And Southern Miss... I'm looking at it. They have to play ULM on Saturday. That's one of the teams that's playing better. And hasn't played two bad games in a row, really, for the most part, and, you know, lost last night, so. Correct. Now, South Alabama is playing better, but that should be a win. Let's just look it out. Okay, they have five games left. That old Dominion Road game is the one I'm counting on as as possibly a game they could lose, but. And what about Texas State? I know Texas State is down this year, but that's going to be the regular season finale. You never know how that's going to play out, especially for the Bobcats jockeying for positioning for the conference tournament. You're right. The, the OD game is the one you go, hey, hey, hey. Look, it's not going to be easy for the Cajuns either, but I don't want Raging Cajun fan to go, oh, my God. Because sometimes the Raging Cajun fan base gets a little, oh, my God. When these, <laughs> when these things happen, everything's still in front of them. Everything's still in front of them. Absolutely. Right? It, the, the ultimate goal is to get to the NCAA tournament. The only way that you really do that 
is by winning the conference tournament in Picola. That's the only way that you do that. The Sun Belt's not a two-bid league. So you can still do that. And as long, really, really, as long as you're a top four seed, Dawson, for the conference tournament, which means you get the double bye, which means you won't play until the quarterfinals on Saturday, semis on Sunday, and then championship round on Monday. That's really the goal. Yes, you want to win a regular season title. I get that. Bob Marlin wants to win that. Jordan Brown, those guys want to win that. But really, the goal is to be a top four seed so you can only have to play three games in Pensacola. That's yeah, the goal. You know, the I, this is probably disrespectful of me to say, but I and I mentioned it on Footshaw, like I haven't gotten to watch a full games of Southern Miss as much just because of the way the schedule works out. So I was glad I got to see them for a full game. And I plan to watch them again on Saturday against Monroe. Um, I don't think they're the best team in the conference, and I don't even think they're second. I think I think UL and Marshall are still the two teams to beat in this conference as far as when you get to Pensacola. I would agree with that. I think Southern Miss probably has the best shot to win the race, and, and right now looks like they will win the regular season title, but they just – look, it's not going to be – that atmosphere that you had last night is not going to be what it's like in Pensacola. Now, same for the Cajuns the way it was against Marshall. You're not going to have that home crowd. You're, it's not going to be like that, so – I, they've got some guys who can score. They kind of spread it around. They don't really have a go-to guy. Hase got hot in the second half, and it killed him. Um, you know, and you all look that some of the guys who have been absolutely great defensively this year just weren't last night, and that's that's going to happen. And they were kind of do. You can't play as well as they've played for as long as they played forever, and I think that happened last night. But they won ten games in a row. Right, like, right. <laughs> you won ten games in a row. It's going to eventually. You're going to have a bad night. And what happened last night? They had a bad night. And once again, you look at their schedule at Troy. Then it's next week. ULM's at home. That should be a good chippy game, right? Then it's at James Madison and then Arkansas State, South Alabama to close out. The Cajuns need to aspire to go 5-0 and in their last five to have a chance. Because really the only true threat besides maybe ULM, as we mentioned, is the Old Dominion game for Southern Miss. So, Cajuns suffer setback last night, but still, everything's still in front of them. Championships, getting to postseason tournaments, it's all still there in front of Bob Marlin's team. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, NFL honors were last night. We'll recap it for you. That's next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Big night for the NFL last night in addition to the NFL honors. Obviously, the Pro Football Hall of Fame class was announced. We'll share both of those with you here now on RP3 and Company. As expected, I don't think anyone was surprised here, Patrick Mahomes picked up another one of his most valuable player awards last night. He got 48 of 50 first place votes. The other two went to Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts and Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen. 
overall in the voting, Mahomes finished with 498 points, 490 points. Hertz was second. Allen was third. Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow was fourth. It's the second MVP for Mahomes in a six-year career. His other came in 2018. Only Jim Brown and Kurt Warner won two MVPs in less time at the start of their professional football careers. Mahomes led the NFL this season in passing yards with over 5,200 touchdown passes, 41 in total QBR, while leading the Chiefs back to the Super Bowl. And he did all that without Tyreek Hill, by the way. Everyone thought he was going to take a hit back. So Mahomes is your NFL MVP. How about Justin Jefferson? My man was named Offensive Player of the Year. Offensive Player of the Year with the new Vikings head coach, Kevin O'Connell. Jefferson led the NFL with 128 receptions and 1,809 yards. Last year's Offensive Player of the Year, Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup played in the same scheme O'Connell brought to the Vikings after two seasons as the Rams offensive coordinator. Cup and Jefferson back-to-back marked the first time two wide receivers have ever won the award in consecutive seasons. Jefferson kept the acceptance speech short, saying, more to come, more to come. Defensive Player of the Year went to San Francisco 49ers. Pass rusher Nick Bosa, who led the NFL with 18 and a half sacks. Not really surprised there. D'Amico Ryans was named the Assistant Coach of the Year. He's now the new head coach for the Houston Texans. And how about those New York Jets? I think they got their draft picks right this last year. This is why the Jets are, by all reports, desperate to get themselves a quarterback because they're getting everything else right coaching offense and defense except for quarterback Jets used two top 10 draft picks to become the third team in NFL history to sweep the offensive and defensive rookie of the year awards cornerback sauce Gardner the number four overall pick led the NFL with 20 pass breakups he was named defensive rookie of the year and wide receiver Garrett Wilson The number 10 overall pick led all NFL rookies in receiving yards with 1,103. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Giants head coach Brian Dalball was named the uh, coach of the year in his first season at the helm. Yeah, when you make Daniel Jones look that good and you get the team into the playoffs and you win a playoff game, You deserve praise. Comeback player of the year went to Geno Smith. Well-deserved for him as well. As he's resurrected his career with the Seattle Seahawks. And Dak Prescott was named the NFL's Walter Payton Man of the Year. I just want to point out about Jefferson real quick. This is why... I have a friendly kind of back and forth with some buddies of mine. They love Jamar Chase. And Jamar Chase is special. 
but Justin Jefferson's the better wide receiver. And not because he won Offensive Player of the Year last night. Because Jefferson is tearing up the record books, tearing up the National Football League while having Kirk Cousins as his quarterback while Jamar Chase has Joe Burrow. Sorry. (laughs) One guy's probably far more valuable to their team. Justin Jefferson is far more valuable to the Vikings than Jamar is. Jamar's never had to catch touchdowns from anyone else not named Joe Burrow. From college to pro, Jefferson's had to deal with Kirk Cousins as his quarterback. A man who throws three-yard passes when it's fourth and eight. And Jefferson, unlike Chase, is getting doubled and bracketed nearly all the time. They're both top three, top five wide receivers in the National Football League. If you had to say, hey, who are the five best wide receivers in the NFL? Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill. Those are the four that are going to be in the mix. But Jefferson doesn't have Joe Burrow as his quarterback. (laughs) And look what he does. I'm just saying. Guy's built different. Guy is absolutely built different. We got to take a timeout. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we'll unveil the Pro Football Hall of Fame class. And we'll also get some reaction for you from the players that are going to be taking the field for Super Bowl 57. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Just, just coming out here and being, you know, being consistent, uh, playing at a high level and playing together. You know, I feel like there's a ton of value in repetition, getting experience, and learning, being able to learn from those mistakes. So, I think we've grown in a ton of different areas, and you know, we have opportunity to be, you know, play, play for the, play for the championship. Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts asked during media day, "What about this team? Made y'all think y'all could go to the Super Bowl?" It's a pretty remarkable chain of events for the Eagles. They went from looking like it was always going to be Carson Wentz to then that not working out. Because remember, Foles takes over when Wentz gets hurt. Wentz was going to win the MVP that year. And they put Nick Foles in for the injured Wentz. They win the Super Bowl with Doug Peterson. And we're talking five years later, and barely any of that team still exists in Philly. They got rid of a franchise quarterback. They got rid of a Super Bowl hero, and they got rid of their Super Bowl winning coach. And yet, 
they're back in the Super Bowl again. Think about that for a second. How many franchises usually bounce back when they do that? Usually never happens, right? You usually see that franchise be on the struggle bus for years. And Philly had a very mild dip, and then it was done. They know how to build the roster in Philadelphia. They were able to take a luxury pick in the second round on Jalen Hurts. That turned out to be very good. He has developed extremely well. He's improved his game year after year. And here they are, one win away from winning their second Super Bowl in five years. Uh, Honestly. They no longer have the two quarterbacks that helped him win the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl winning head coach from five years ago. And here they are back in the Super Bowl again. New franchise quarterback, new head coach, and a lot of other new players. It's immensely impressive to see what Philly's done. And I hate the Eagles. (laughs) So to see them be able to do a rebuild on the fly does not bring me pleasure but I have to respect it because it's exactly what they've done and not only did they find their new franchise quarterback they were able to get a great wide receiver then they went out and got one as well they drafted one then they went out and got themselves another one and their line of scrimmage is just ridiculous in Philly on both sides of the football And they made smart moves. A.J. Brown, smart move. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, smart move. Well-run organizations can rebuild on the fly. That's how it works. We've talked about it over and over again on this show. But it also helps when you have a guy that commands the locker room, a guy that commands the huddle, and Jalen Hurts. And part of that has always been Jalen is extremely humble. He is a coach's son. He was coached by Nick Saban. If you get coached by Nick Saban, you know that's going to be tough coaching. He goes on, gets coached by Lincoln Riley, continues to develop as a passer. And the thing about Hurts that he's always had from high school in the state of Texas through Alabama, Oklahoma, and now in Philly is that he's all about the grind. He puts in the work. He embraces the work. And he talked about embracing that type of mentality. You know, I've uh, truly embraced the grind. Uh, I, I found a thrill in the process of getting better. I found a thrill in just just chasing it every day, and that takes consistency. You know, and I've I've tried to remain diligent with all of that. You know, I don't uh, look at the the grand scheme of things. I just try and go to work. If any if anyone wants to reflect, reflect on anything, just reflect on the work because that's what comes first. That's exactly what you want your quarterback to say. That's how I feel about working on pushing the buttons over here. (laughs) But that's what you want, right? Look, quarterbacks get too much praise, and we talk about them way too much. But the successful ones are the ones that set the tone for everybody else, Dawson. If the quarterback is the guy that's the first one in and the last one out – If they're one of the hardest workers on the team, they command everyone's respect. It doesn't matter if they struggle, if they have a bad game. 
the guys will go to war with them because, hey, you are the guy that is the most recognizable face on our team. The quarterback's always the face of the franchise. The quarterback always has the biggest contract. The quarterback always is the one that gets all the endorsement deals. They always get the one that gets the interviews. But if you back it up because you put in the work, you command the locker room. That's what you got. And so many of these young quarterbacks, the ones that fail, never figure that out. Never figure it out. Zach Wilson, I'm talking to you. I've just been surprised, and I don't know if you've seen some of this too this week, of some of the national you know, people talking about the fact that they think Hurts is you know, put in a system that's so easy to run and that he's oh, you know, doing is. something. Any- and, like, I couldn't feel more of the opposite of that. Like, yeah, I'm not saying Hurts is Mahomes right now, but, like, there's things that he does that only he can do, and that's part of the thing that makes the Eagles so tough to stop. Like, I would not compare – Philly's situation with San Francisco where it's so built on the running game and giving your quarterback easy throws and not to say Purdy didn't do anything impressive but like I would I just don't understand the logic that Jalen Hurts isn't doing things that are incredible this year well I'm going to throw it out there to you I'm going to go ahead and tell you you're young and you still view the world in a way of with hopefulness and you believe in the best in people you didn't hear that narrative about Brock Purdy being a system quarterback. You never heard that narrative early in Tom Brady's career that he was in a system that benefited him. Most recently, as I just pointed out, Brock Purdy. Uh, and there's a reason why. Okay? And it's pretty obvious what the reason why is. It's it's the same lazy narrative that's that's been going on since Doug Williams was in the NFL winning a Super Bowl. If you're an athletic black quarterback, it's automatically assumed that you're an athlete and not a quarterback. And if you do have success, it's because you're in a system. Well, I heard always been the thing and people tell on themselves when they say that you've heard it. We've heard it with Lamar Jackson. We've heard it with every quarterback out there. And we've even heard it with Mahomes. Oh, well, he's a byproduct of Andy Reid. We've also heard it with the assistant coach, the offensive coordinator, and Eric Bieniemy. Well, he's just a product of Andy Reid's system. That's why he's not getting a head coaching possibility. That's what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to stir up stuff at 6.43 in the morning, but that's what it is. If Because no one mentioned Brock Purdy being a system quarterback. Well, I, I, I don't doubt that that plays into it for some people's comments, but I mean, I, I did hear... Like, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess maybe not as much, but I heard those comments about Purdy. I think that's, like, part of the whole San Francisco idea is that you can throw anyone in there, and I think it's mostly true. But, yeah, no, I think Hertz has been impressive, and I will be interested to see in the next year or two if he can take the next step, which he'll have a chance to do it on Sunday. And if, he, if he's able to pull this game off, then, you know, I think he'll start to have a little bit of a different narrative around him. But, yeah, no, it's been impressive. And what's the next step, too? I say, I think that's it. the other thing about him is what if he just plays at this level? Then, then what are you going to consider? What are we going to consider him? He's a MVP finalist this year, right? What if he just plays this? He plays at this level. Then we're going to start considering – we're going to have to start considering him being one of the top – five top 10 quarterbacks in the league yeah I'd say he's already top 10 right now yeah now if the I can understand 
people's hesitancy because the core around him is so good right now. The offensive line is good and the receivers are good. And so you'll have to kind of take that case by case as his career progresses. Who does he have around him? And is it as you know dynamic as the guys right now? But I mean, most of the great, like, yeah, we saw Brady do it a couple of times when the receiving cores were diminished in, in New England and he was still able to find a way. But like most of the great quarterbacks have great talent around them throughout their careers. You know, they, it's, it's a say, team sport tell, at the tell end about, of the day. Tell it, tell it. Say that again for those in the back that didn't hear you, that weren't paying attention, that maybe were playing on their phone. Say that part again. Well, think about any of the historic quarterback seasons we've had. You all, There's almost always great talent around what? the best players. What? Oh, my God. Oh I knew I hired you for a reason. Yes. The quarterback doesn't do it by himself. You have to have talent around the quarterback. In the case of Philly, they knew, yes, Devontae Smith is a good wide receiver. We got to go get another guy. And what did Philly go do? They got themselves another really talented wide receiver. It's what you do. It's what you do. It's what you got to do. You have to do this. This is part of what you do. Like You have to surround your quarterback, timeout, with actual talented people. That's what you have to do. It's a novel concept. I understand. On the other side, Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes. It's been ankle watch all week or last week. How's his ankle? How's his ankle? How's his ankle? Well, you know what? Here's the MVP himself telling you the latest about his ankle. Yeah, I don't think you'll know exactly until you get to game day. Um, I'm definitely in a better spot. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely can move around better than I, I was moving last week or two weeks ago. And so uh, it's just trying to continue to get the treatment and the rehab um, and get to as close as I can to 100% and then uh, rely on some adrenaline to let me do a little bit extra when I'm on the field. So it's going to be it's going to be uh, definitely better, more mobile, uh, be able to move around a little bit uh, better for sure. And then we'll see on game day how close to 100% I can be. 90% is probably the best it is. But I do have questions. So he had a high ankle sprain. Typically, you don't play on that. So was the initial high ankle sprain not as severe as we thought it was? Because he looked pretty good against Cincinnati. I think you can, I mean, not, not from speaking from medical expertise, but I, you can play on it depending on how bad it is I mean I've had a high ankle sprain and like the first few days of it were brutal but like within a within a two-week frame like I was in a walking boot but I feel like if I was in an NFC championship game AFC championship game I could have played football I got you but it's a pain tolerance thing that's really difficult too because and you saw it people and people who said he was like you know trying to get attention with faking the injury like when you push off of that and you've had that sprain like that's one of the most painful and I understand like you could see it it's like a shock pain, and then it kind right. of fades. But every time you go to push off of it, it's another you get shock. that jolt of pain again. Right. It's another but shock. I'm not surprised that he was able to play in it and play at least. I was surprised how well he moved. But again, also, they have access to probably better medical uh, <laughs> things than anything we've ever seen. So. Yeah, there's, yeah, he was taken care of in a way that we, we, don't, uh, we don't have access to. That's right. We can't go down to the clinic down the street, Dawson, and get the type of treatment that uh, Patrick Mahomes was getting for his high ankle sprain. And, look, Mahomes is special, wins another MVP. He and Travis Kelsey have a great relationship. 
great connection, and we know Kelsey is a phenomenal player. He may go down as the be- the greatest pass-catching tight end in NFL history, but Mahomes wanted to make sure to point out that, you know, it's more than just the pass-catching. It's also Kelsey's leadership. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a vocal guy. I mean, he's someone that – he's one of the main leaders in this locker room. I mean, they, one of the core guys that's been here for the, longer than I've been here, the whole entire run of really Coach Reed's uh, uh, run in the Kansas City Chiefs. And so I think he's, he's he can be vocal because he's the hardest-working guy in the locker room as well. And he's, he's in the building. He's working his tail off. He's finishing every route. Uh, he's blocking, working on his blocking. I mean, there's times when he's not in, he's, like, walking to the side, and he's, like, working on routes by himself. And, I mean, whenever you have a guy that's one of the hardest-working people that's um, one of the greatest players of all time, um, then he, he is that vocal – he can be that vocal leader, and everybody responds because they know he's doing it the right way. Once again, we talked about it with Hurts, right? If you embrace the grind, that's what matters. If you want to be great in anything – whether it's the NFL or anything else, being a parts runner or sports talk host, you have to embrace the grind. You have to put in the work. That's the only way you become great. The only way. Which is why I'm not great. (laughs) We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one, update the poll question of the day, and unveil the Pro Football Hall of Fame class. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. After the NFL honors were wrapped up last night, we finally got the Pro Football Hall of Fame class unveiled, and it's all about the defense, and man, I'm here for it. Cornerbacks Rondé Barber, who'd been on the ballot for a while and deservingly needs to get in. He will be in there. Tampa Bay Buccaneers cornerback Rondé Barber. Daryl, I take the money anywhere, Revis. <laughs> he was a great cornerback, but my man was an absolute beast on the free agency. Rondé Barber, Darrell Revis, outside linebacker DeMarcus Ware, one of the best pass rushers of all time, and linebacker Zach Thomas were all selected for enshrinement as well as tackle Joe Thomas, a 10-time Pro Bowl selection with the Cleveland Browns at offensive line. Also selected for enshrinement this year were Coach Don Correll, defensive tackle in Joe Klecko, linebacker Chuck Howley, and cornerback Ken Riley. Klecko, Howley, and Riley were senior committee finalists, and Correll was a coach contributor committee finalist. So congratulations to that great class that will be inducted in early August in Canton, Ohio for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Hey, it's not all about quarterbacks. It's about defense and linemen. I'm here for it. Poll question of the day. It's real simple. Who wins Super Bowl 57? 
Right now, 63% of you say Kansas City Chiefs. 37% of you say Philadelphia Eagles. JPK, the OD, has chimed in. Could I be any more ambivalence? <laughs> Could I be wearing any more clothes? John Paul K. Giannetti says, Philly, they're the more complete team. They have less holes, and it would be nice to think the Saints were one of the teams that beat the Super Bowl champions. Ton on Twitter says, Chiefs, I mean, I just hope both teams lose or have fun. Well, whatever. And then he shared a gift from Schitt's Creek. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts with your comments on Facebook and Twitter. And we'll update it throughout today's show. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with a pro football Hall of Famer. Alan Fanica, the LSU legend, will join us to talk about his Super Bowl experience. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Very few players ever make it to the National Football League. With the first pick. Even fewer make it to the league's grandest stage. The Cincinnati Bengals, they are going to the Super Bowl. This next guest is someone who accomplished both. Time for Super Bowl Spotlight here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. When you talk about the Mount Rushmore of offensive linemen that have come through LSU and possibly even the entire state of Louisiana, our next guest is on that mountaintop. New Orleans native would go on to play at LSU where he would become a consensus All-American. He would go on to be a first-round draft pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 1998 draft, and he would go on to become a six-time first-team All-Pro selection, a two-time second-team All-Pro selection. He was named to the NFL's All-Decade team. He's been named to this Pittsburgh Steelers all-time team, a Super Bowl champion, a Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and a Pro Football Hall of Famer. It's our privilege to welcome to the program Alan Fanica. Alan, good morning to you. Brother, how are Good morning. I'm doing good. How about you? Appreciate you making the time, man. Appreciate you making the time. So when you're growing up as a kid, first in New Orleans, and then obviously you relocated to the Houston area, did you ever dream that you would one day not only be a Super Bowl champion, but considered one of the greatest offensive linemen in history and a pro football Hall of Famer? Oh, man. You know, I, I never thought about that. You know, I always thought about being being good at what I could do and, and always trying to get better, man. But never in my wildest dreams uh, uh, did I start even thinking about that being a possibility until well into my career in the NFL. Let's start off about that career because you were redshirted, if I remember, at LSU. But when you finally did get on the field that second year, you started putting together one of the more dominant college careers for interior linemen in the state's history uh just tell me a little bit about your experience of going from being a redshirted player to a starter and to a consensus all-american with the tigers oh man you know just uh so we, you know going through that right it was uh curly holman's uh last uh, recruiting class that i was in uh coming in with that last year with uh coach holman 
and then uh, Coach Gennardo coming in the next year, and uh, uh, you know the, the run game kind of took took a little more precedence uh, under Coach Gennardo, and you know that was just a really good fit for me, a young guy, uh, you know learning learning the ropes a little bit, uh, still getting used to, to playing SEC football, and it just kind of fell into my lap a little bit, and kind of let me warm up into uh, being the player I was. And, uh, you know, just to continue to grow till, till my time was done at LSU. What's the biggest trait needed besides athletic ability to be able to play interior offensive line in the SEC? you got to have a little bit of nasty with you. You know, regardless of how you walk around uh, in the classroom or on the streets, man, when you get in the grass, you got to have a little bit of nasty with you. It's, it's got to be there. Uh, you can't be nice in the trenches, and it doesn't mean you got to play dirty. But, uh, you know, you got to have a little, little angst with you. Uh, who was the best player you played with at LSU? You know, so many guys. You know, when I when I think back of you know, kind of like my 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 career as it goes back, you know, all the way back to John Curtis in uh, middle school. Uh, you know, my time at LSU. You know, I, I think back of how I progressed as a player, and a lot of it was the practices going against uh, Booger McFarland, uh, Chuck Wiley, uh, Gabe Northern. Man, our practices were, uh, you know. They were they were harder than the games, uh, and and we were always constantly working on each other, uh, talking, conversating, uh, trying to make each other better, uh, and at the same time getting on each other when we got the best of them and made the fun fun time of it. But uh, you know those guys uh, helped make me a better player and become who I was. Everybody had their own traits and things that they did uh, that I tried to lean on and learn from, even as an offensive guy playing against a defensive guy, uh, just trying to pick up things. And, and put it in my toolbox and use it. How good was one of the guys that you blocked for during your time at LSU, Kevin Falk? Man, Kevin was the best, man. He was he was the best. And literally, you know, just recently going into the College Football Hall of Fame is recognized as one of the best. Um, you know, just just a special player, had a, had a great uh, feel for the game, a feel for where he was supposed to be. Uh, you know, ma- makes an offensive lineman's job easier, and I'm sure he would say that, you know, we made his job easier. But, you know, uh, there's a big difference between the quarterback turning around and handing off the ball and, you know, that guy just running and then handing the ball off to a guy that's running and knows what he's doing and what he's setting up. Uh, and not maybe running right to where he wants to go, but setting us up and, and making our job up front a little bit easier. And that was Kevin. We're talking with Alan Fanica, LSU consensus All-American, one of the greatest interior linemen in program history, a first-round draft pick, a pro football Hall of Famer, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Alan, you get drafted in the first round of the 1998 NFL draft by the Pittsburgh Steelers. What was that like going to one of the greatest franchises in league history? Um, Just something special, you know. I, I I knew I knew what the team was about. They were all about hard-nosed football, uh, but just an exciting time to get drafted in the first round and you know moving on in life and uh, trying to figure things out. But going up there and and getting in with the the Pittsburgh offense, you know, much like I said, Coach Donardo came in and, and leaned on the run a little bit. Uh, you know, that's what Pittsburgh was about. Um, you know, it's a different style of football back then than you see today. And, and it was perfect for me. I mean, it was absolutely perfect for me. You know, I've, I've often thought uh, if I had I gotten drafted by another team that, you know, maybe was, you know, maybe 50-50 run or 60 pass, 40% run, uh, you know, just didn't use it as much. Um, what what would have been my career path or, or how long would it have taken for me to, 
to, to really rev up or, or get uh, the, the acclaim that I was fortunate enough to get in the NFL. But uh, to go to a team uh, that, that ran the style of offense that they ran, but also when they saw the tools that I had, I mean, they literally used me and, and put, me, put me to use, uh, uh, pulled me a lot, put me in space. Um, you know, not many uh, places you would go uh, are offensive coordinators or staffs uh, equipped to deal with uh, and how to handle uh, somebody who's, uh, you know, I, I, you don't you don't often put like an offensive lineman to use, right? You put running backs to use, you put wide receivers, quarterbacks. Um, but, you know, they actively found ways to, to do what I did well and to put me in the to positions to help the, the offense. Uh, and that was great. It was great for me. Uh, and it was great for the team as well. But, uh, you know, it also made the game just incredibly fun. Uh, just incredibly fun. Very much a franchise that prides itself with its blue collar mentality, lunch pail mentality, so to speak. And that definitely came from the head coach there, the fellow Hall of Famer, Bill Cowher, the chin. What was it like playing for him and how tough of a coach was he? <laughs> you know, he was a little soft hearted when you got him on the side sometimes, but uh, not all the time. Uh, you know, man, that chin stuck out. And the spit started flying. Uh, you know, you didn't want to be anywhere near it. But uh, just a really great coach. And, you know, one of the best compliments that I can, I can give him is he got every week, you know, every week in the NFL you got you to gotta reload, reload the barrels, right? You got you to get ready for the next opponent. You got to forget about what you just did. And you've got to do that week in and week out all year long. And he had the ability to get the entire building um, – pointed in one direction and when you're all pointed in one direction and you're you know some guys aren't worried about this or worried about that but everybody in the entire building and as a team is pointed in one direction we're going to go a lot farther than if some guys are pointing in other directions and he just had a had a great way to uh uh, uh inspire the team uh to kind of piss us off if our opponent uh, so uh, required um just uh great you know some of the best things that uh he ever did and uh you know when you've been there for 10 years like i was i was with him for nine uh you know some of the best speeches he would give he wouldn't even tell us what to be pissed off about or what mad about he would walk out he'd be like i'll tell you guys later on and then he would never come back to it but he got everybody in the team pissed off and ready to play and we were ready to go it didn't matter that he never circled back and told us because he probably made it up or it wasn't good enough. He just used it for, for fuel for the fire. But uh, he was an amazing coach. You know, you established yourself as one of the best interior offensive linemen in the league, multiple all-pro selection, and then you guys start building something really special there in the mid-2000s. And you have the great run before the Super Bowl where it looked like you guys were going to make it and you run into New England. How much did that loss in the AFC Championship game kind of fuel you guys for the next season when you did go to the Super Bowl and win the whole thing? You know, a lot, a lot, you know, and especially, you know, you talk about there was a couple of years there where we were really good and we were, you know, we were, we weren't quite knocking on the door the whole time, but we were trying to reach the door to knock on it. So, uh, you know, all of those years kind of built up uh, really is what fueled our fire, um, you know, and of course falling, you know, uh, one game short uh, the year before does not hurt either. But um, you can never go back and get it. But all you can use is is move forward and use it what you got and and to, and use it as to get you going. But uh, you know we we got going and things weren't even going good that next season either. And then 
next thing you know, um, you know, we got basically after went out, we start our playoffs with six games to go and have got to do it to get in. Um, and, you know, that's another thing you talk about. I was just talking about Coach Cower. Uh, he, he, he began every team meeting with the same speech, and it all involved basically us on a boat. In some form or fashion, uh, every speech started with us being on a boat. Uh, and he, you know, he kept it interesting. I mean, for six weeks, he kept this story going. But it basically was, it only matters who's in the room. It doesn't matter what people are saying on the outside, how they're, how they're, uh, you know, counting us out. Uh, and so, you know, he's probably getting stretched in with uh, boat stories. And he comes in there, and one day he starts talking about a periscope. And I'm like, I look to my buddy next to me, and I'm like, a periscope, man. I said, you know, periscopes don't generally uh, fall on uh, on a ship or boat. <laughs> so. Uh, I uh, I caught up with him real quick, man, and uh, when he was heading back to his office, I said, Coach, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%, but I just need to know, are we on a boat or are we on a submarine? I just need to know. And his face turned so red, and he was like, get the hell out of here, And Everybody called me red back then. I was like, get out of here. Uh, but he was great. Let's talk about the, the big game. It's in Detroit there at Ford Field, and you guys are taking on the Seattle Seahawks, and – you know, they have a great running back in their own right, the league MVP and Sean Alexander. And, you know, you guys have a, a platoon of guys that can go out there, including the great Jerome Bettis. You know, you guys win that game 21-10. to 10. It's a low-scoring affair. Big Ben didn't have a great game, but yet you guys' running game was really key in that, 181 yards on the ground, including you helping – lead the way for Willie Parker's Super Bowl record 75-yard touchdown run. Walk me through that play where Willie broke free and took it to the house. Yeah, you know, our, our, our coaches on offense saw uh, saw a tendency that uh, Seattle had, uh, and nobody had exposed them on it. And uh, so uh, we came up with a game plan. We had about five passing plays, and they were all to uh, uh, the slot on the left side, and we knew if we could just get the slot the ball enough times, uh, you know, it didn't have to be big yards, four yards, five yards, you know, whatever we could get. Uh, we had Antoine Randall out playing the slot on the left. Uh, that they would, uh, it would kind of piss them off and aggravate them enough. And then they would slide the linebackers over to try and take away those little short passes. And that would open up the run to the right that uh, Willie Parker scored on. And so we had to check on every, every play, all six of those plays, we had to run check on all of them. And um, so we talked about it all week long going up into it. We talked about it again at halftime because we were, we were making some yards <clears throat> over there, and they were like, be ready to go. And then sure enough, we come out there on our first drive in, uh, in the second half, and they slide over. Uh, to the formation and I mean I'm sitting there in my stance and I'm like here we go and uh, Ben makes the check and uh, the rest is history man they just uh, the whole the whole plan was to wash wash down the the front side I would kick out and then just to leave a big hole for the uh, free safety to have to cover and it was just going to be too much ground for them to to cover Willie Parker in that much space. And that's what happened, and Willie was able to take it 75 yards to the house. When you got your hands on the Lombardi afterwards, what was that feeling like being able to hold the most prestigious trophy in professional football? Oh, man. You know, I was – I was uh, I'm getting chills just hearing you say that. Um, I, was, I, was, I was a nine-year-old kid in my backyard playing tackle ball with my buddies, like winning the game. 
and I got my hand on the trophy. It was like, it was, it was everything in my entire football life up to that moment led up to that. Not just that season or my NFL career. Uh, you know, it's like every time I touched the football from being a Nerf ball uh, on uh, was all built up into that moment. Uh, you know, that's something that you dream about or, or uh, watch other people do. Uh, and here you are doing it. And um, just amazing, man. I, I've got a picture, uh, and I still have not done uh, justice to it yet. Uh, but I've got a picture with me. Uh, I've got the trophy in my hand, and I'm, I'm screaming, and the, the confetti's falling all around me. And it's just me in the photo. Um, you know, I mean, it's uh, I've got it up in the in the other room, and it's just you know, it gives me chills, man, every time I walk by it because it's such a surreal moment, and it's something that uh, can never be outdone. Now, in a game that's low scoring and offense, in particular passing offense, was a bit of a struggle. The Super Bowl MVP went to a wide receiver. I mean, I'm just saying, Alan, did you maybe try to make your case and go up to Hines and tell him, like, hey, man, uh, maybe you should give that trophy to one of us offensive linemen? (laughs) Somebody did tell me. I think I actually got one or two votes or something like that. Uh, You know, that's that's never going to happen. Nobody's ever going to give it to the uh... (laughs) O-lineman. What does it mean to you this time of year? When the Super Bowl comes around, it, does it still just flood you with all these great memories? Is it an emotional time? Is it an appreciative time? What is it like this week for you? You know, I, I enjoy it. it. It is appreciative. You know, there's always the memories uh, that we've been talking about that uh, get you know pop up on social media, or somebody remembers it, or um, you know, friends will, will, will send a picture and pop things up, and I'll see some pictures that I still have never seen 17 years later. You know, I've got uh, some of my best buddies from Louisiana came up to the game. And uh, it's a quick story. And I never knew this. I found this out literally like two or three years ago. But uh, for good luck, they brought up uh, – they came up to the last game in Three Rivers Stadium, and they gave out – everybody got seat cushions uh, for the game that marked to mark the final game at Three Rivers. And, of course, they flew up for that and came up to that game. But they brought, they brought, they brought one of those cushions around them all around Detroit with them to every bar, every restaurant, everything they went and did. They brought one of those things around for uh, for good luck all week. And I had never heard that story literally until like three years ago. So, um, you know, it always brings up good memories like that and you know, new facts uh, that I hadn't quite heard. Um, it's just always special to watch it, man. You know, everybody always asks, you know, do you miss the game? Do you miss being a part of it, you know? Yes, you miss you miss the guys in the locker room. You never, you know, you never can get away from that. You know, you miss being surrounded by your friends on a daily basis in that environment. Missing football? No, I enjoyed my time and it was time to move on. Uh, but you know, when it comes playoff time, you start to think about it a little bit more because that was truly, truly the exciting time of playing football. That's what you played all 16 weeks for was to get up to and get into the get into the tournament to play for the big uh, big chip. But uh, it, it does bring up all of those memories. Alan, appreciate you going down memory lane with us, brother. Thank you so much for your time. It is greatly appreciated. Hope you enjoy the game this weekend, and bust of luck with everything that you're doing, brother. My pleasure. Good talking. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves. Just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though 
wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports station. Super Bowl 57 is Sunday. Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs trying to win their second Super Bowl in four years. Philadelphia, five years after winning their first Super Bowl, is trying to do it again. Of course, we'll carry the game for you right here on the game. Pre-game begins at 4 o'clock, kickoff 5.30. Later on on today's edition of RP3 and Company, D'Lo and yours truly will be making our picks for the game and giving you some insight on why we decided to go down that route. But we'll put the Super Bowl talk aside just briefly. Some other things did occur in the world of sports. Louisiana Raging Cajuns have their 10-game winning streak snapped at Southern Miss, losing 82-71 to last night in Hattiesburg. The Golden Eagles now control the Sunbelt Conference regular season title chase. They have a game lead over UL, who's now in second place. Both teams have five games to go. UL still has a road game at James Madison. After playing on a Thursday night at home, they have to travel all the way over to James Madison. Not great. But Southern Miss still plays Old Dominion, so there's still a chance for the Raging Cajuns, despite losing last night, still have a good chance of being able to at least win a share of the conference championship. But look, they played a bad game. It was bound to happen. An emotional win over Marshall on Saturday at home in front of a you know huge crowd. They go on the road to a rival. They had a huge crowd, a near sellout there in Hattiesburg. First time they've had that in a long time. And Southern Miss played really well. And UL had a bad game. Jordan Brown got his. But they played sloppy. They didn't execute well. And they had a lead at the break. But you could tell Southern Miss had gained the momentum. And then the Eagles took over in the second half and never really let up. And that was probably, as Dawson, you said earlier, probably the worst half of basketball we've seen from the Cajuns maybe all season. Yeah, they had a stretch in the first half where they were up 10 and had a chance to really kind of, I mean, not quite put it away, but kind of close to put it away, kind of step on the throat, so to speak, and had a couple really bad possessions and some bad turnovers. Southern Miss made a couple of shots, and then all of a sudden the lead's five at the halftime break instead of being, you know, 10, 12, 14, or even more than that, so... That was crucial, but yeah, no, I, there's no time to panic. If this team loses to Troy on Saturday and looks pretty bad again, then maybe you know we can talk about right. the future and, and whether or not they maybe have hit a wall, but right now they're fine, and um, you know, yeah, look, if, if, if Southern Miss wins out, then they deserve the regular season title, and congrats to them, but at the end of the day, you still split with them. It's not even like you lost a season series. So, And you still have an opportunity to win the conference tournament, right? We still have five games left in the regular season and then the conference tournament, so Raging Cajun suffer 
a setback on the road at Southern Miss. The McNeese Cowboys, the losses had been piling up over and over and over and over again. And they finally break through. They snap their losing skid, McNeese does, last night, taking down one of the best teams in the Southland Conference, 69-66, to a win over Southeastern Louisiana. Christian Shoemate recorded his third straight double-double with 14 points and 11 rebounds as McNeese dominated the boards 45-26 to as they took down the first place Lions by three points in a key game at the Legacy Center. Trey uh, English led four Cowboys in double figures with 15 points while Harwin Francois scored 13 and Zach Scott added 10 Jonathan Massey, meanwhile, grabbed a career-high 10 boards. And the way they attacked the glass was the difference in this game. McNeese snaps their losing skid. And once again, for the Cowboys, we've been talking about this. There's very few games they had left on their schedule that were going to be coin flip games because they were in dead last in the standings. Getting an opportunity to jump up and getting into the conference tournament, which they host, is their whole goal And they took a huge step that way last night. They'll return to action on Saturday when they visit UNO at 4 o'clock before returning back home next Thursday versus Incarnate Word. Both of those games are winnable games for the Cowboys. So we'll see if they're able to get the job done. We got to take a timeout. We'll switch from the hardwood back to the Super Bowl. Prop bets as Matt Humans from Vizen, senior editor and show host, joins us to look at all the prop bets for Super Bowl 57. That's coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and company here on The Game as we wrap up the work week and get you closer and closer to Super Bowl 57 between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs in Glendale, Arizona. And look, a lot of money and a lot of people are going to be betting on Sunday's game. You are probably one of those because a record 50-plus million folks here in the United States are expected to bet on this year's game, wagering a total of $16 billion. That's a lot of cash being dispersed out there, changing hands, if you will. And to help give us some perspective on how to put a little extra money in your back pocket with betting on the Super Bowl, in particular on the prop bets for Sunday's game, is the senior editor and show host from Vizen. Matt Humans joins us now here on RP3 and Company. Matt, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Hey, doing great. Super Bowl week. How can you not be fired up for this when you uh, live in the world of betting? So, uh... Uh, I think we're gonna we're headed for a great game here, and uh, I'm not just saying that. I, th- I think these two teams are evenly matched with quarterbacks who can trade shots, and I expect this Super Bowl to go down to the wire. But there's so many different things to talk about uh, when you're talking about Super Bowl because of the props that you mentioned. So uh, let's dig into it. 
Well, let's dig in with the props. What's one of the more popular prop bets going on right now out of Vegas? Well, there's no doubt. When the public gets here later in the week, yeses and overs. People want to bet on things to happen. Uh, so you're going to bet over prop totals, yes on uh, you know touchdowns and things to happen. Uh, I think the, one of the most popular players in terms of props is going to be Travis Kelsey, the Kansas City tight end. You're going to get, will Kelsey score a touchdown? Yes, over his receiving yards, over his catch numbers. Same goes for Patrick Mahomes. And, uh, you know, maybe a guy like Devontae Smith of the Eagles, wide receiver, Jalen Hurts. Those are going to be the most popular props that uh, the people do play. I'm actually, I've actually got a couple of those too. So I, that's, I think you got a chance here to to possibly have a high scoring Super Bowl with a lot of that stuff uh, to hit. Uh, so I'll tell you what my what I, what I typically do and how I approach this because in your mind you want to have a, a script for how you think the game is going to play out. And then you're going to look for props that um, kind of play along with your script. I've got the Eagles winning this game 24 to 23. There's only been, you know, how many Super Bowls have been decided by one point in the history? One. That was the uh, Giants Bills game 20 to 19, I think, in 1991. But this is the type of game I think we, well, there will be a back and forth, two quarterbacks trading shots type of game. And when you have a number like it is now, Eagles minus one and a half or two, it, you know, seems to make sense that you're going to have uh, two evenly matched teams. Nobody's going to run away and hide. I think the, the key to this game is going to be, are the Eagles that much better on the offensive and defensive lines than uh, people seem to think? Because uh, Eagles have 78 sacks. They lead the NFL. Their defensive line's been dominant. Chiefs' uh, offensive line is good, but not great. It's not as bad as it was a couple years ago when Mahomes was running for his life in the Super Bowl. Is the Eagles' offensive line elite? Yes, it certainly is. And can that Philadelphia ground attack uh, kind of control this game? And I think a lot of people are going to have a script that kind of plays along those lines, and I do too, but I don't think it's going to be a one-sided game because the one Super Bowl that Patrick Mahomes won, he pulled a rabbit out of the hat in the fourth quarter. He did not have the better team. The 49ers were better better than the Chiefs that year, but Mahomes made two big plays in the fourth quarter. The ego, the, uh, the Chiefs made a comeback to win that one and beat the 49ers, but it looked like uh, they were going to lose. Could Mahomes steal this game in the fourth quarter? I think that's certainly possible. So that's why there's a fear factor for me in betting against him. I think this, is be, this game's going to be decided by a slim margin. I've got the Eagles winning again 24-23, and I played some props to kind of uh, play along that storyline that I just mentioned to you. How much does the injury, the high ankle sprain for Mahomes and the shoulder injury for Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. impact how you should bet on this game, whether it's overall or maybe with some of the prop bets involving the QBs? Well, you got to be a little bit careful because if uh, Mahomes re-injures that ankle and you've got a lot of over or yes props on him, you could be screwed if he's hobbled, if he uh, has to leave the game for any sort of uh, reason with an injury or is just slowed down. Same with Hurts and the shoulder, even though, I didn't think Hurts looked great in the NFC Championship game. I didn't think he looked good enough, and after two more weeks, he should be okay. And I'm thinking the same thing with Mahomes for the most part, because if he had a true high ankle sprain, he would not have been out there running around and outrunning the Bengals' defense uh, for the game-deciding play. Uh, I don't think he had a true high ankle sprain. I I, I do expect him to look uh, pretty close to you know 90% or so for the Super Bowl, but you're right about that. You have to be careful. You don't want to bet a bunch of props over these guys uh, because if uh, somebody does leave for an injury, you always have to think, what could go wrong with this bet when you make it? Well, one thing that could go wrong if you bet a lot of yeses and overs 
is the player you bet on gets injured and has to leave the game. So, yeah, you got to be careful about betting multiple props with one player. You taking one of the popular prop bets is about Jalen Hurts over 241 yards. You taking that, yes or no? I am not. I, I'll tell you what I'm betting is uh, Jalen Hurts anytime TD, and uh, you can get that at small plus money. And then the other thing is when you're betting props, you got to shop around because you can find different prices. There are so many sports books out there now. Uh, definitely a comparison shop and uh, look for the best number before you pull the trigger on some of these. I am betting on Hertz to score a touchdown, and if uh, you look at his track record, it's a pretty good bet that that's going to happen in this game. I wouldn't be surprised if he scores the first touchdown of the game. Another thing I'm betting on is this is not a crazy prop. This is just more like a, a game line. I'm betting on the Eagles minus a half point in the first half. Philadelphia's been a fast-starting team the entire season. And, in fact, if you bet the Eagles just to win the first half, 15-3-1 in the 19 games this season. And uh, one of those losses – was when Gardner Minshew was a quarterback against the Saints, and uh, Hertz did not play late in the season. I think it was week 17. So this has been a really good first-half team, talking about the Eagles. When I said, will quarterbacks trade shots here, and I think they will, I also bet, will the game be tied after 0-0? Yes, minus 110. I think that's a pretty good prop, because when you've got a small point spread in the game like this, uh, it does. It indicates it's probably not going to be a blowout. It's going to be a back and forth game. You have a pretty good chance of a three to three, seven to seven, ten to ten type of score early, and that's when you're probably going to cash that prop. Will the game be tied after zero zero? I did bet Patrick Mahomes over his rushing yards. It's a little bit risky considering what we talked about, but this this prop number opened low. When I talk about shop for prop numbers. I found this number as low as ten and a half at one sports book, and um, if you look at Mahomes this season. He averaged 21 rushing yards per game, and he topped 20 rushing yards in 10 games this season. I think a Philadelphia defense that leads the league in sacks will put a lot of pressure on Mahomes, who's going to be forced to take off a run more than a few times. And here's uh, another thing to consider. The Philadelphia defense ranks 30th in the league in the success rate against quarterback scrambles this season. So I think Mahomes is going to be on the run. He's going to pick up yards outside the pocket. Let's hope he doesn't go down with a bad ankle. But uh, the, the uh, common line right now over Mahomes rushing yards is over probably 17 and a half is where you're going to find that. I also think the Chiefs are going to be trailing in the in the fourth quarter when you have or in the second half when you have an inferior defense. You got to take more chances offensively, and I think Andy Reid's not going to be afraid to gamble here. He's also he's going to put the he knows his odds are better if he puts the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands. Will the Chiefs convert a fourth down attempt in the game? Yes, you can find about minus 120. I think that's a pretty good prop. How about in terms of fun props, you talk about things that the public wants to bet. I'm going to go with this one. Players to attempt a pass in the game over two and a half, you can find a plus 150. And you want to look for plus price props whenever possible. Uh, You don't want to be laying a price on too many of of the props you bet. So, I think with the uh, Eagles and the Chiefs, two offensive-minded head coaches, two guys who are uh, unafraid to take chances, you could see a trick sort of play here with a running back or a wide receiver throwing a pass. So players to attempt to pass over two and a half, a plus 150, I think is a pretty good bet too. How about coaches' challenges? Uh, you can bet this over one and a half at plus two dollars. It's an even higher price prop at some spots. So if you get uh, over. If you get each coach to make a challenge, you go over one and a half a plus two fifty. I think that's a pretty good prop play as well. And uh, I give you one more: this Philadelphia defense 
is pretty strong, and especially in the red zone. And if Mahomes can't convert one of those scrambles, <clears throat> let's put it this way, Casey's got one of the better kickers in the league, and uh, Andy Reid's got confidence in Harrison Butker. I wouldn't be surprised to see multiple field goal attempts in this game. And I've got Butker over one-and-a-half field goals at a plus price as well. So uh, those are some of the props I'm, I bet are looking to bet in this game. We're talking with VEASAN senior editor and host Matt Humans. He joins us here in RP3 and Company as we look at all the betting lines and prop bets for Super Bowl 57. Of course, that'll be Sunday, and you can listen to all the action starting with pregame at 4 o'clock right here on the game. You're home for the NFL here in southwest Louisiana. Matt, I want to ask you a few more, and one of them is about A.J. Brown. Look, he set the Eagles' single-season receiving record with nearly 1,500 yards, had 88 catches, and 11 touchdowns. But he has been a no-show in the two playoff games. What's a popular prop bet including involving, rather, the Philadelphia Eagles' star wide receiver? A.J. Brown's numbers, I'm going to look them up here while I'm talking to you, are a little bit too high. and I'm actually thinking under. When, you're, you're talking, when I was talking about playing uh, – uh, players, yes, and overs. A.J. Brown's one of the guys I'm looking to bet on, no and under, and I'll tell you a couple reasons why. Now, his his stats in the first two playoff games were down. Different reasons for that. Both those games were blowouts. Eagles ran away from the Giants, didn't have to throw the ball a lot. They controlled the game with, with the run. And uh, really the same thing happened after the 49ers quarterback situation became a complete mess. Uh, the Eagles didn't have to throw it. If you look at Jalen Hurts' numbers from that game, there was not a whole lot he had to do. So A.J. Brown was not going to rack up big numbers in those two games. I'm sure Brown wants to go off in this game, and uh, I'm sure he would love to put up big numbers, but I don't think he will. Because one thing, if you look at Steve Spagnuolo, the Kansas City Chiefs defensive coordinator, one thing he likes to do, similar to Bill Belichick, is take away your number one weapon, and uh, that would be A.J. Brown. I think that what the Chiefs are going to do is uh, focus their defensive coverage on A.J. Brown to not not let him put up big numbers and force somebody else to make plays. And that's why I think that Devontae Smith might want to be, might be the guy you look at here. Total receiving yards, I'm seeing for A.J. Brown around 75.5. Total receptions, 5.5. Those don't seem like big numbers. And uh, you would think, he could he could attain those numbers, but if the Chiefs are going to double him and force somebody else to beat him, like Devontae Smith, you might want to look at Smith instead. So that's, that's one of those props I'll probably look at late in the week if the public is actually betting AJ Brown's numbers up higher than what I just mentioned to you. I might look to bet him under before game time because I don't think the Chiefs are going to allow him to beat him. All right, brother, before we let you go, tell the people how they can follow you on social media and where they can go to get all your great work uh, when it comes to these prop bets for Super Bowl 57. Yeah, it's a lot more than me, too. We've, we've got 20, 30 uh, people analyzing the Super Bowl, so you can get a variety of sharp opinions. Go to BSIN.com. Brent Musburger is up there this week. He's got a great interview with one of the sharpest sports bettors of all time, Billy Walters. You can watch that. We've got uh, all sorts of columns and uh, game analysis, prop analysis, prop picks, best bet. Everything you could ever want to read on this game, I just gave you a little bit of uh, what, what you're going to find up on the website, vsin.com. And uh, appreciate your time. Enjoy the game this weekend. Matt, appreciate you making the time. Thank you so much, brother. Enjoy the game. Okay, you bet. Thanks. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Of the two of us on this show, one of us got himself tickets for tonight's New Orleans Pelicans game. So I believe that person should be the one to talk about the trade deadline move made by Griff and company as they did ship out Devontae Graham and brought in someone else. Mr. D'Lo, who's going to be inside the Smoothie King Center tonight. What a flex. What do you make of the minor move that the Pels made yesterday afternoon? It was just that. I mean, it was small, Josh. But Josh Richardson's a nice player. I think he gives you some of the things you've been missing. He's a guy who can shoot from the outside. He's going to mm-hmm. give you some more length on the uh, on the wing. So expiring contract as well. Yeah. Right? So a lot of not not like a high stakes deal. Not anything. You know, nowhere near. Of course, the McCollum trade. You're not. You know, bringing in a guy who's going to be a cornerstone piece. Now maybe it works out. Maybe he gets a deal done to stay with the Pelicans in the off season. But um, you know, look, he helps. And again, this team isn't like ready to compete for a championship anyway, I don't think, this year. I would so agree. I don't think you needed to go make the home run move. Uh, you still have a lot of assets. You still have the Lakers' first-round pick, which right now is going to be in the lottery, and hopefully that stays the same. And So you'll have a chance to make bigger moves later down the line, but I think it's fine. And, you know, they can. They still should make a push, hopefully get Zion back, be a top, at least top six team, hopefully maybe top four, and, and move from there. You also get off Devontae Graham's contract. That That's the other part of that. And look, you get a player that can help you. He's a rental. Maybe he can uh, be a huge contributor for you. But if not, you, you make a miter move. You get rid of Devontae Graham, which makes your team better. I, I, because he wasn't playing well, and he hadn't been playing well for a long time. So yeah, just makes, getting him off the roster, your team got better. And it I mean, makes the rotations easier and clearer yes. for Willie with you know Kyra and those and guys. And more so. Kyra Lewis minutes, which you and I are here for. Yes, we agree on that. Our number two in the books. Hour number three coming up right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Final hour of today's RP3 and company and final hour of this work week has arrived. Coming up half an hour from right now, Three-time Super Bowl champion, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, LSU and Karen Crow legend Kevin Falk will be joining us to talk about his experience in appearing in not one, not two, but three Super Bowls. Also coming up about 15 minutes from right now, broadcasting legend Tim Brando will join us to give his thoughts about all the controversies surrounding the Dale Brown court drama. We'll get Tim's perspective on that coming up in about 15 minutes. Of course, 
We do have our poll question of the day, and it's a straightforward one. It's simple. It's not hard. It's all about the Super Bowl. Who wins Super Bowl 57? You got the Chiefs. You got the Eagles. Who do you got? That's what it's all about. Right now, 56% of you say Kansas City Chiefs. 44% of you say the Philadelphia Eagles. Mr. Green has chimed in on the Twitter. Eh, meh. I'll say Chiefs, but since I don't like either team, go commercials. <laughs> Houdat Forever says, KC's shaky O-line combined with Mahomes' ankle injury worries me. I don't think they'll have an answer for Philly's front seven. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think the key to the game is going to be Philly's front seven. Because, look, as great as Mahomes is, and he is phenomenal. Guy just won the MVP. Their offensive line is better this time around than it was when they played the Bucks. But we remember how much Tampa Bay absolutely terrorized Mahomes in that Super Bowl from a few years ago. Devin White and those boys got after it. Mahomes was trying to throw passes while he was literally horizontal to the ground. Now, Kansas City's offensive line is better than it was a few years ago. Is it good enough to deal with Philly's front seven? I don't think it is. And, and, and look, we could go in a deeper dive on these type of things. And look, we can talk about Mahomes and Kelsey. Look, Travis Kelsey's going to get his. Patrick Mahomes is going to make some special plays. And they'll have to have other guys like Juju Smith-Schuster or Tony or someone like that who really aren't factors in the passing game, not legitimately consistent factors. They're going to have to step up if Kansas City's going to have a chance. I think Kansas City's defense, the back end, is suspect. I like... Maybe not A.J. Brown to ball out for Philly on the other side. But I think they're going to try to take A.J. Brown out of the game because they view him as the bigger, big threat, which is going to leave Jalen Hurts opportunities to throw the ball to Devontae Smith, and Smith is going to make plays. Kansas City doesn't have enough guys on the back end in the secondary to match up with both of those guys. And then Hurts can make plays with his feet. And they run the ball really well. Philly's not going to try to have a ton of possessions in this game. They're going to try to minimize the amount of possessions in the game because they like running the football. You know what Philly does really well? Run the football, play defense. It's been the story as old as time of a blueprint of how to win games. Because when you play defense and you run the football, you limit the amount of the possessions the opponent has. And that makes them do dumb things because the least amount of time they have, the less time they have, the more desperate they get to have to make plays. I think this is a low-scoring game. I don't think it's a ton of fireworks in this ballgame. I really don't because I think Kansas City's front seven is going to make plays. But I like Philly to make more plays. I like Jalen Hurts on bootlegs and things of that nature to find Devontae Smith, who's going to keep extending the route. They're going to pick up some tough first downs that way. 
I like the Eagles to win this game. The only way Kansas City wins this game is if there's Mahomes magic. And that's all going to be dependent on the offensive line for the Chiefs playing their best game of the year. Best game of the year. Can Kansas City's offensive line play their best game of the year and allow Mahomes time to have some magical plays? That's the only way they win this game. I think this is a very low-scoring game. I'm going out and saying Philadelphia, which pains me to say because I hate the Eagles, because they're in my division, and I hate everyone else in the division, and I'm not going to be rooting for them. But they have the better overall roster. Kansas City has the better quarterback. and the Look, Kansas City has the better quarterback, and they have the best skill position guy on the field in Travis Kelsey. Brown and Smith and Miles Sanders and all those guys, they're not on Kelsey's level. They're just not. They're very good. Kelsey's great. Mahomes is great. Philly doesn't have those two guys. But Philly has a better offensive line. And Philly has better depth. And Philly has a better front seven. And Philly has better guys on the back end. It's about the team. And just like a couple years ago when Tampa Bay was the better team, Philly's going to win this game. I think it's low scoring. I think it's a 24-20 win for the Eagles. And I'm not even confident that they're going to be able to score that many points in this ballgame. It's a great matchup. It really is. I think it's um, it's one of the few times in the last, you know, however many years that you can say clear-cut best team in each conference is in the Super Bowl. So I like that. Yes. And they're wildly evenly matched. Very evenly matched. Um, when you take a look at each position group, which I think some people like to do, you certainly give Philly a lot of advantages. I think Philly has the better offensive line. I think Philly has the better receivers, without a doubt. Um, they pro- they definitely have the better I don't know. It's debatable on defensive line. I think they have more depth, though, so I'll give them the defensive line edge as well. They can rotate more, yeah. which they like to do. You know, linebacking core, I'd probably go Philly. Secondary, pretty much definitely going Philly. Um, running back crew, more debatable because Pacheco's really shown me something recently. And you get Edwards Alaire back this week, so that could help. Kansas um, City's run game has been a little under the radar. Yeah, and, and uh, we'll see if they can get it going and if they can be consistent, but... Um, so a lot of that kind of leans Philadelphia, no doubt about it. Now, quarterback is obviously Kansas City, and we'll see how healthy Patrick Mahomes is. Um, I think he's going to be close enough to where he can extend some plays. There's also some health concerns with Jalen Hurts, and we've seen that with the shoulder. We haven't seen him have to throw the football a lot in the playoffs, so if they get into a different type of game, how are they they able to handle that? Have they just been hiding him? Because yeah, they haven't. The, they haven't. Obviously, they've had no reason to show right. everything he's so capable of. So, is is it a little bit of gamemanship here? Certainly right? could be. Certainly right. could be. So, um, you know, I think Kansas City's offensive line has played pretty well. I thought they did a good job against Cincinnati. I thought Mahomes. I mean, he he. I was surprised how well they played. They held against up Cincinnati. against Hendrickson. Yeah. They held up in a lot of different ways. So, I think they've done a good job there. Um, you know, Andy Reid's a guy who's been there before. Now, he notoriously struggled in these big games early in his career. Um, you know, the, the stats, he's obviously ridiculously good coming off of a bye. Um, so all that plays into it. I think Sirianni's kind of the young and up-and-coming up coach who's going to have a chance to prove himself early on here. But Andy Reid has the experience factor, so you certainly value that. 
Um, Philadelphia. He's also lost two Super Bowls. Yeah, he has, and I think he's he would probably tell you how much he's learned from those two. You know, he knows how to go through this week, this Super Bowl week. You know, we heard a little bit in some of the clips we played this week. It's a it's a process to play in the Super Bowl. You're dealing with things that you don't normally deal with. You know, you're coming into a city earlier than you usually do. You're dealing with more media coverage than you ever deal with. So there's a lot that goes into that, and I think I really value the fact that Andy Reid has been through it before, and most of the guys on the Kansas City Chiefs roster have gone through it before. I think that's another thing to look at. I think some of the edge that a lot of those Patriots teams had is that all those guys were never intimidated by the big moment. So, But when it comes down to actual football, Philadelphia's defense is just nasty, and it's a lot better than Kansas City's defense, no doubt about it, and they're able to run the football. And a long time ago, a wise man once said defense wins championships. But that man never saw Patrick Mahomes play football. I'm going with Kansas City. I'm going 20-17. to 17. Chiefs win the game. Patrick Mahomes makes some big plays at the end and propels the Chiefs to a second Super Bowl title in his uh, young career. This is a huge game for Mahomes. Because in his two previous Super Bowls, he's not played well. Even the one they won. He still had two turnovers. And he scored three total touchdowns in that game, but didn't eclipse 300 yards passing. And really played, if you want to be honest, he played a tremendous one quarter of football in that Super Bowl where he was just lights out. The rest of that game, he was average. And he was less than average against Tampa. This is an important game for him, right? Because he is great. He's now overtaken the mantle from Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady as the best quarterback in the game. Joe Burrow and Josh Allen are going to have something to say about that for years to come. So will Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts, more than likely. But even with Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and those guys, he still struggled against the Niners with the exception of one really tremendous quarter. It was a beautiful quarter to watch. He's a magic man, right? He does special things, and he's your X factor. He's the he's the obvious X factor, but he is the legitimate X factor, right? It, it, some people are going to get too cute about it and go, well, the X factor. No, no, no. The X factor is Mahomes versus the front seven. That's what it boils down to, right? That, Philly's defense versus Mahomes. That's what it boils down to. Talent-wise, he should be able to win the Super Bowl. But he does get a little reckless sometimes with it. He played a very good game against Cincinnati. Look, if he plays the way he did against the Bengals, they're going to win. Right? If he plays that way, they should be able to beat Philly. I just... I always lean towards the better team. And I go back to the Panthers-Broncos Super Bowl. The best player in the league that year was Cam Newton. By far. Had a very special season. He was unstoppable, Dawson. Unstoppable. Won the league MVP, right? Unstoppable. The team with the better defense won that game. They absolutely destroyed Cam Newton in that game. And I'm not saying that Philly's going to destroy Mahomes because, once again, I gave you my predictions, 24-20. It's a, it's a low-scoring game. 
but the most talented player, the most gifted player, doesn't always win. And Mahomes is special. MVP, absolutely. But it's just tough for me to go against Philly's defense. It just is. It just is. If anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Mahomes. And you've heard a lot of Philly fans also talk about, and I've heard from, yeah, they want to win the Super Bowl, but they will also tell you, you know, if we're going to lose it to someone, it's okay if we lose it to Andy. If we have to lose it to someone, it's losing it to Andy. Okay. I respect your decision to go with Mahomes. And you've been lights out with your picks. You know, you put your undefeated mark on the line. And I want to really pick Kansas City. I do. But man, that defense of Phillies is nasty. It's just so nasty. And it's just, it also just seems like this is, I hate to say it this way too. For the Saints fans, it, it, it just feels like the explanation point on a year to watch Chauncey Gardner-Johnson win a Super Bowl championship after you traded him for a bucket of chicken. You know, it seems a fitting end to the Saints season that the guy that you got rid of would win a Super Bowl. Well, as the Saint, as Saints fans know, the world doesn't revolve around us. So, <laughs> Have you talked to them about this? <laughs> Well, you, no, I, I mean, well, in a positive way, I guess. So maybe it, maybe it will happen that way. But <laughs> this one's close for me because, again, I've, I've kind of said that my tiebreaker in these games, these big games, is quarterback-coach. But that's only a tiebreaker. So you have to be close enough, closely matched enough for me to go to the tiebreaker. And, like, I'm a hair away from saying Philly's just too good to even use that approach. But I think with some of the things Kansas City's able to do offensively, I just put them above that level of it being not close enough for me to side with them. And so that's why I'll take Mahomes and Andy Reid in the big moments. You know, the other thing, too, is Philadelphia is they're just not as battle tested. And I think that might come into play here. They haven't played a close game in a month. That's given me pause as well. And so not only is Kansas City playoff tested and Super Bowl tested but they're also battle tested within this season with this group you know and Philly certainly they've got a few guys that have been on some rosters in the past you know Jason Kelsey and some of their veteran guys have been there before so it's not like they're completely new to this but I still think that Kansas City's experience factor and the fact that Mahomes and all those guys are going to walk in that building and they're going to see the national anthem take place and all the camera flashes when the game starts, and it's not going to be too big for him at all. I'm not even concerned with that. And I'm not saying it's going to be too big for any guy, anybody on the Eagles, but sometimes that's the difference early in the game, which I think this game's going to be that close. I think maybe Kansas City gets off to a quicker start because of it, and maybe that ends up being the difference at the end. If they do, to your point, and we'll, we'll wrap up our Super Bowl 57 preview with this, to your point, Dawson, if Kansas City is able to jump out to an early lead, they win the game, right? Because then you are dictating the tempo. You're dictating how the game flows against Philly. That's huge, right? So if Kansas City gets out early, I think they're good to go. I really do. Now, we saw Mahomes and the Chiefs have magic against the 49ers and rallied to beat them late. Once again, they had that tremendous, really or one tremendous quarter, but Philly's so deep across the defensive line that Sue is a backup. 
Think about that. One of the, one of the best interior defensive linemen of his generation, maybe even a Hall of Famer, is a backup <laughs> for the Philadelphia Eagles. Woo! And he has Super Bowl experience. Just saying. Oh, man. It's, it's really a coin flip game. Really. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll shift gears. Oh, man, so much drama involving LSU and Dale Brown Court inside the PMAC. The governor's involved, state lawmakers, the board of supervisors, Tim Brando. Not too happy about what's going on there at the flagship university of the state of Louisiana. He'll join us next to talk about it coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. King cake season is here, and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar coated pastries. That is so sweet. Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. There's been plenty of dust up here recently about the name of a court inside the Pete Maravich Assembly Center. It was voted on. It was approved. The state Senate House voted on it to name the court inside the PMAC Dale Brown Court. They had a ceremony. They unveiled it. And they honored the famed LSU men's basketball coach. But now there is a movement, if you will, of changing that. And to give some clarity here on the situation, to give his take on what's going on, not only with LSU, but within the state of Louisiana, is the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, broadcasting legend Tim Brando joins us now here on RP3 and Company. Tim, good morning, sir. Appreciate you making the time, brother. How are you? I'm good. I've had better weeks and better months, though, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, I'm, 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 uh, I'm really, really disappointed in my, my home state, uh, my flagship university of my home state. I think all of us, regardless of where we might have gone to school, and I went to northeast Louisiana, but no, no matter where you went to school, you always rooted for LSU. It's really going to be hard, I think, for a lot of people uh, that are close to uh, this situation to look at LSU and to look at the state uh, any differently than those that are outside Louisiana that have a very uh, negative and condescending view about our state's history and its, and its politics and how uh, its politics will corrupt. Uh, and and really do terrible things to wonderful people, and I think that's what's happened here. You know, uh, you mentioned Hall of Famer. I, the, the governor might have me stripped of my um, Hall of Fame status. I, I could assure you that uh, <laughs> your Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame stature will not be stripped uh, of you. Okay, well, thanks. I, that's encouraging. <laughs> I've called some. I've called some friends uh, with the, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame the last couple of days, and I've been ghosted, so I'm a little concerned. No, I'm I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but, but uh, so so how did this come to be because that, that's my first question and people have been asking me because there there's just basic confusion look I, <laughs> I i spent some time at a junior college so maybe i'm not equipped to understand all of this but from the information that i've been provided that i've been able to find this was something that was voted on they also had a vote to name the court dale brown slash sue gunter court 
They voted against that, overwhelmingly voted against it. They decided to go just with Dale Brown. The state legislator passed it as well, and the ceremony was held. Why is this happening right now, Tim? Well, because one woman, Mary Werner, who, by the way, I'm told later today at the meetings will not be on hand, okay? She's not showing up as a Louisiana Board of Supervisors member, and she was the driving force behind it. One woman, Mary Werner, the daughter of the late... um, um, you know, politician who was worth millions and millions and millions of dollars, Buddy Leach, who, who campaigned and financed basically the entire gubernatorial campaigns of John Bell Edwards, she would not take no for an answer. And she took this to the governor's office and, and basically said, you know, your future, regardless of what you're going to do, is, is going to be in some measure, you know, she used her financial grit and said, um, you know, this has got to be done. We've got to have, we we've got to have uh, a female name next to Dale Brown's in this day and time. And this is what what she said back in 2021. I know she said this to the governor because she said this to everyone at the board of supervisors meeting when the vote took place on September 10th of 2021. And that was, uh, in this day and time, we just do not need to have uh, a white man, 86 years old. Uh, have that, that we, we just don't need to be naming things after uh, white men of this age. And um, and they took basically the 50th anniversary of Title IX, which was 2022, and she weaponized. What the governor did was cower to her because he knows his financial future, either if he's running for another office or if he just wants to open his own uh, law practice, is going to be dependent on her purse strings. So he calls five of uh, the, the, the board members, five of the board members that voted for Dale Brown Court, and basically coerced them into changing their votes, which I'm told is happening this morning. Now, I hope I'm wrong. There's still time for something crazy to happen. I know Stuart Cathy, the senator you were mentioning, who, who got uh, the resolution before uh, the legislature, and they voted unanimously for Dale Brown Court. I know he's doing everything he can to get it off the agenda, but I... I think that the SIP has, sh- uh, has, shale, uh, has sailed, and I, and I don't think it's going to happen. Um, having Brown Gunner Court on the floor is an embarrassment and a, and a diminishment and, a, and, and dilutes Dale Brown's accomplishments. She already has a statue, um, Sue Gunter. Sue Gunter was a great coach, wonderful woman, and a good friend of Dale Brown's, and she would be embarrassed about this. I know this because I was there then. Anyone that was there then would know what I'm talking about. But uh, Mary Warner was not there then. Uh, Governor John Bell Edwards was not there then. You know, he was uh, probably off at West Point uh, or, or somewhere else at that particular time. Um, you know, there's no context here. She claims that, um, you know, an old white man just shouldn't have anything named for him now. Well, this old white man was the first white man that was a lifetime member of the NAACP. This old white man helped uh, all women when athletics was just beginning at the NCAA level. Remember, women's basketball was not even competed at the NCAA level until 1982. Dale had already gone to a Final Four by that time. So we've got to have some context here. Uh, he did more for all minorities and, uh, and women uh, than anyone in, in, in Louisiana state history. Uh, George Eames, the president of the NAACP at that time, said no one, no one, uh, had ever done more for the black man in the state of Louisiana than Dale Brown. So as I told uh, the board and, and I told her in my speech before them 
uh, back in August, August 6th of 21, I said, you, I know you have a, a, a problem here because of, uh, of uh, gender, but trust me when I tell you, you're going after the wrong old white man. Bill Brown did a lot and fought for others all the time. And here we are, you know, he's hurting right now. He is. I'm pissed off because it was my efforts, along with about a handful of others, that got us to the finish line, only to have this happen. And he's so discouraged, and his health is not great. And, you know, what should have been a wonderful ceremony, that, and was back on January the 4th of 2022, has now been uh, soured. And, 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 uh, and there's a lot of bitterness here. And it's really shameful what they're doing. And people around the country, particularly those in sports media, know this. And uh, they're going to they're gonna hang it over Louisiana's heads. Trust me when I tell you that. That was going to lead to my, my next question because, look, Dale didn't ask for this. Dale didn't ask to have the court named after yeah. him, right? He He's right. he's very humble. He, he didn't ask for any of that. You and others kind of spearheaded that effort, and, and rightfully so. He was honored, and he was very appreciative of it. it, it so this is all getting stirred up now, and it makes – a great coach and and someone who meant so much to so many young men and women throughout the years. And now it's going to paint him in this bad light. I mean that right, that's right. that's that's the part that's the collateral damage yeah, here of trying to force this. Let me, right. Let me say this to you before I go, and that is this: from what I'm told this morning, what's going to be used here by uh, for cover? They're going to try to cover for Mary Warner. That's why she's not going to be at this meeting. Uh, they don't want anybody to be in a position to have to defend themselves when they can't defend themselves, and that's why she's not going to be there. <laughs> I mean, how much more cowardice can you possibly be? But here's what they're going to do. They're going to say, from a parliamentary law standpoint, with the Board of Supervisors, uh, they they went over the, the Hall of Fame, uh, the, the Athletic Department Hall of Fame, and therefore uh, the, the vote itself was, was bogus. <laughs> Well, well, all that means is that the LSU Athletic Department is now in on it, too. Okay, that means the athletic director is in lockstep with the the president. And, of course, the president, William Taft, he was a total hypocrite, supporting Dale Brown, clapping for Dale Brown at the dinner the night before for Dale Brown, guffawing over Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf and several other players that were on hand that night. And then he had the gumption to ask Dale take the lead on this and changing the name when he, he and College Temple took him to lunch on his birthday, Halloween, when he turned 87. How about that for a, a, a birthday present? How about the gall of doing that? Um, there, there is nothing but dirt, okay? Just despicable dirt at every level of the flagship university and using their Hall of Fame now as a means for cover for the governor, for the president of the university, and for Mary Warner is despicable in my opinion. Tim, appreciate your time as always. Thank you for coming on, brother. And hopefully uh, there'll be some better news later on today, my friend. Well, I got news. If they if they do change it, the governor will be gone. The board will then be gone. A Republican governor will be voted in. A Republican governor will then appoint new board members, and we will go back to work. It's not over. Well said, brother. Thank you for your time, bud. You got it. Bye-bye. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Very few players ever make it to the National Football League. With the first pick. Even fewer make it to the league's grandest stage. The Cincinnati Bengals. They are going to the Super Bowl. This next guest is someone who accomplished both. Time for Super Bowl Spotlight here on The Game. 
1037 Lafayette, and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. He was a USA Today and Parade All-American in high school where he led the Karen Crow Bears to a state championship in 1992 on the gridiron. He would go on to LSU where he would become a three-time All-SEC selection, All-American, and he would set multiple records for rushing yards and all-purpose yardage. He would go on to play in the NFL for a very long time, winning not one, not two, but three Super Bowls with the New England Patriots. He's been inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, and most recently, the College Football. Ball Hall of Fame. It's our privilege. Welcome back to the program. Kevin Falk joins us. Kevin, good day to you. Brother, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, Raymond. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you making the time, man. And look, we could spend probably an hour or so talking about everything that you've done in your career, but we're going to try to keep it just focused in on the pro stuff and the Super Bowl since it is Super Bowl week. So let me go back. When you're growing up playing ball here locally right down the road, who was your idol, and did you ever allow yourself to envision one day hoisting the Lombardi Trophy like you did not one, not twice, but three times? Well, first off, growing up, uh, my favorite team was, I'm so sorry, uh, New Orleans Saints fans and Patriots fans, my favorite team was the Dallas Cowboys. So, you know, I had a lot of different guys that I looked up to during that during that time. Um, from your Troy Aikman, especially Emmett Smith, Tony Hills, uh, Ed Utah Jones, Randy Cross. You know, that that's how deep I go to Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with that with that being said, like any other kid, um, I always dreamed of playing football. That dream of winning the Super Bowl, uh, that's kinda was a far fetch. I just dreamed of playing in the NFL. Kevin, you get the opportunity to play in the NFL. You're a second-round draft pick of the New England Patriots, and at that time they were still being coached by Pete Carroll. You know, what was your experience like when you first got to Foxborough and started playing for the Patriots? Uh, the, the first, like, all, everything is transitional once you get from high school to college, college to, uh, to the NFL. And for me, <laughs> my first taste of NFL was I walked into the weight room, the locker room and the weight room in New England, and LSU had just redone their locker room, their weight room, and it was like state-of-the-art everything. And New England one was, like I would say, probably looked like a high school weight room and a high school locker room. I was like, wow, okay. You know, you get to know the guys, you go through uh, the off-season program and start camp. Uh, camp was very interesting. Uh, then we go to the season, and the first half of the season, we go 7-1. and one. Like, we won seven games, and it's like, wow, this is the NFL? Oh, man. And man, I'm always going to be cakewalk. Well, the second half of the season, we only win one game <laughs> out of the rest of the eight games, and we go eight and eight, and it's Pete Carroll gets five, Bill gets high, and it's like, uh-oh, what is going on here? <laughs> It changes in a heartbeat, doesn't it, brother? I mean, it, it does. Uh, now, what was your first early impressions of Bill Belichick? Uh, well, first off, I'm still young. Uh, I actually broke my ankle my rookie year, like the with like five games left of the season, so I was away from the team. So I was rehabbing, and a lot of older guys, you can feel the vibe that a lot of older guys wasn't feeling Bill because Pete Carroll was a player's coach. Anything you asked Pete for as a player, you probably was going to get it. Uh, but when Bill came in, it was a little different because Bill wasn't the player's coach. Bill done it his way, um, and that's, that's what he thought worked. And guys weren't feeling that at first. But obviously.
obviously it ended up working and it worked out in a big way. And Kevin, you were there on the roster, part of the backfield on the team that ended up going to Super Bowl 36. You defeat the St. Louis Rams 20 to 17 in the Superdome. When did you know that you guys had something special that season when you guys made it to the Super Bowl and ended up winning it? Some point in the playoff, uh, definitely that uh, that first game. I think it was the Oakland Raiders game. Like, wow, we really did overcome that situation. And I'm a big stigma. There's a lot of situations that happen during during the course of the year that was like, okay, how do we win this game? You know, growing up in Southwest Louisiana, we always believe in the unbelievable. Um, there's certain things that we believe in, and people are like, how? How do you? Why do you believe in that? Well, that's how I was raised, and that's kind of how that thought process was throughout the whole that season. And then when that playoff game happened, it was like, uh oh. You get to the Super Bowl. You're trying to take down the greatest show on turf. Uh, what was the vibe like in the locker room before you guys took the field there inside the Superdome, which you knew well because that was the same location where you won a state championship back in high school, obviously a far bigger stage right. the, the second time around. But what was the vibe like before you guys came out onto the field inside the Dome? Well, it was a real calm, relaxed vibe. I don't know if you remember. We played them early on in the season, um, and they beat us. But we had a really good feeling that, like, you know, we're probably going to meet them again sometime. If we play, if we play well enough, we can meet them again. And you know that was a confidence for us as a team and as a football team that if we take out, take away a few things, like everybody said, Bill does his due diligence. He takes away a certain guys in situations that you may turn to in certain critical situations of the game. He tried to take that away from you. What was it like when you guys? won that game 20 to 17 confetti falls down all your family's there your friends are there and and what was it like when you put your hands actually on the lombardi trophy kevin wow just the feeling you know you, you didn't even have to put your hand on the lombardi trophy um like you just said you described everything that made it worthwhile the confetti the fans your family uh your teammates just the emotions of, of you guys on the field, um, the thought process of that long year, how long it took, and the, the long season uh, to get to that point. Wow. And, and it's all for that moment. That, and now you're looking for your family. You're looking for somebody to hug. You, you just feel like you won't even let your emotions go. We're talking with Karen Crow High School football legend, LSU football legend, three-time Super Bowl champion, college football Hall of Famer Kevin Falk joins us here on RP3 and Company. Kevin, two years later, you guys get back to the big game. How much was your mentality as an individual player and how much was the mentality of the team different for that season that you guys ended up beating the Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl there in Houston? Well, it was very much different because the year before – we thought that it was going to be like, okay, we got the blueprint for this. We, we're we going to make it back. We're going to make it back. And a lot of people were telling us, hey, it's not that easy as you think. And we didn't even make the playoffs that year. And that hunger, that following year, made it that much more. And we pretty much, I'm not going to say had the same team, but we plugged in a few guys, you know, that helped us out to get back to that point. Did you learn early on that your way of becoming the most valuable player you could be for the New England Patriots was to be as versatile as you ended up being for a decade? Oh, no, never. I, I, I was stubborn like everybody else. I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to be the number one guy. I wanted to be the, the bell cow. I wanted to be that back. Um, and my agent always did tell me, and he's right there from Lafayette, Louisiana, 
uh, Raymond Brothers, he always just tell me, just be patient, man. God has a plan for you. You never know. Um, and then whenever Bill came with the third down back stuff, it was like, you know what, now nah, I want to get out of here. He was like, just be patient. Trust me, be patient. Um, and when I retired, he was like, so what do you think? <laughs> it, w- it w- worked out well because you became uh, an instrumental piece in everything that they did because – Bill loved utilizing you in so many different ways. I mean, that Super Bowl there in Houston against the Panthers, you know, you were huge in that two-point conversion attempt that was definitely needed because, once again, it was another close game. It was a three-point game. Right, right. And I, look, the crazy thing is I don't, I don't talk about it often, but I talked about it. And the reason why I'm bringing it up because I talked about it last week because I spoke to Hammond High School uh, for their banquet. And I just asked you a few questions like, Nobody hears about the third-string quarterback on any football team because the third-string quarterback is probably not up for the game. He's probably not up for the game. Not He's dressed, but he's not eligible to play the game. Well, for a lot of years, I was that third quarterback. And it played off, and it paid off in a big way, brother. You win that Lombardi. How much different was it when you were a Super Bowl champion the second time compared to the first time? Was the emotions different? Was it more of uh, of relief, or is it more of well, yeah, this is what we expect? All of the above, because uh, the emotions of it getting back there, uh, the emotions of actually the relief. Yes, as as a team, as a team, you know, you feel the pressure. You, you probably don't talk about it, but yeah, that's the pressure because we knew we had a good enough team to make it there and win it again. So yes, that that that's part of it as well. Um, and then always just the opportunity to get another one, uh, the opportunity to be able to win another one. You guys go back the next year, Super Bowl 39, they're in Jacksonville. You take down the Philadelphia Eagles in yet another classic low-scoring affair. This time you guys win it 24-21 against Philadelphia and the Eagles. You stepped up and helped your team in that one as well. Uh, Kevin, how hard is it to repeat, go back-to-back in the NFL? Very much hard, very much difficulty because you think about it, you win the Super Bowl biggest game in at, at which you're the professional football. You win that, every last organization wants that blue. Every last organization wants to follow that. So they're going to study you up and down as a football to try to figure out what you've done, what you improved over the course of one year to another, uh, why your team is that good. So they're breaking you down from inside out. So they kind of have a good idea if they're playing against your very first Super Bowl, Kevin, was more than two decades ago. Your quarterback for those Super Bowl victories finally retired. What made Tom Brady so different, so special to play with? Work that termination. Um, I got to tell everybody, this guy is not athletic at all. Does not have an athletic bone in his body. Now, let me not say athletic bone in his body. He does. But the thing that he beats you with is his, his mind, his head. He studies. He understands. He knows. When you look back on your own career, and it's been a while since it's ended, and your three championships in pro football, is that what stands out to you? Is that what you're the most proud of of your time in the NFL, or is it something else, Kev? Oh, man. It, it's definitely up there, but one of the most. <laughs> I graduated college. Never would have thought I'd have graduated college. Yes, the Super Bowl is some of the most prestigious things, but uh, that opportunity to walk across a college stage to get my diploma, um, I think that was one of the proudest moments for me. 
Appreciate the time as always, brother. Well said as always. Enjoy the weekend, and thank you so much for your time, bud. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Appreciate it, man. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, the game's going to be broadcasting not one but two stellar games this Sunday. It all starts at 1 p.m. with the undefeated LSU women's basketball team traveling to take on undefeated and defending national champion South Carolina. After that clash on the hardwood wraps up, it'll be time for Super Bowl 57 from Glendale, Arizona. Pre-game begins at 4. Kickoff between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs begins at 5.30. Tune in this Sunday for not one but two tremendous games right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. I want to take a moment to thank all of our guests. Pro Football Hall of Famer, LSU legend, Super Bowl champion, Alan Fanica. Vizen editor and show host, Matt humans broadcasting legend louisiana sports hall of famer tim brando and three-time super bowl champion karen crow high and lsu legend kevin falk poll question of the day it was simple it was straightforward no muss no fuss who wins super bowl 57 52 percent of you say kansas city chiefs 48 percent say philadelphia eagles thanks to all who voted thanks to all of you who commented as well for the producer d Dawson Eisler, I'm Raymond Parsons III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again on Monday from 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.